boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. You're listening to Binge Boys. I'm Hal Rudnick, and with me is Lon Harris, and we're here to talk streaming and maybe just a little bit of life. Also, uh, hoot hoot, hashtag Owl Nation. Lon, what's going on, pal? I was promised there'd be no discussion of life, just streaming shows. I, I must differ with your intro already. TV only, Lon, his personal life and anything besides streaming, he's a closed book. I'm a very private person, Hal. We can't get into the details of my bizarre personal life. You are. You walk around the street waving your hand in front of your face saying, no photos, no photos. No, it's really, like, it's intense around here. Lon, I don't know about you, but last week I binged the hell out of a lot of CNN and MSNBC. That's for damn sure. Everybody was a temporary Steve Kornacki binge boy. Oh, hell yeah. Steve Kornacki at the big board. Yeah, I mean, that's it's, it's interesting that in one way, like in, in almost every way, streaming has completely replaced TV. We're not interested anymore in all of that, like flipping channels kind of kind of thing. Except we can't seem to figure out news and sports. They keep trying. News and sports. They yep. keep trying. They keep sort of coming up with like, oh, NBC News now. And it's streaming and news. And Hulu has live sports. Right. But, but people are still like, nope, it needs to be like a man doing math in khakis on election night. And it has to be on my television. And that's it. That's all I'll accept. Man, I, I mean, you mean I'm going to have to live with getting my father's election results? Yeah, it's just like, that's it. That's it forever. It'll be like 2079 and all of TV will just be football games. And then once every four years when we need to see how Ohio went. What, what didn't correct me if I'm wrong, Lon, wasn't it on an election night? that they had Will I Am virtually, uh, like a hologram of him appear in yeah. the newsroom? I mean, of course, that would be when you'd have your Will I Am hologram show up. It's funny because I feel like now, like, holograms started on the news and we were very excited about it. And then we got them at, like, Coachella and Kim Kardashian's getting bespoke ones made. And it's yes, already, dad. and it's already like, all right, this is stupid. I think we're already over there. Like, Holograms are supposed to be the future, man. Did you see, you know, we, we're tying it together here. Kanye West, presidential candidate, also got Kim Kardashian, I guess, like last week or so. Yeah, hologram of Robert Kardashian, her deceased father. And I guess he programmed everything that the hologram would say. Sure. because they called him a genius, yeah. Yes, you married a great man and a genius. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely weird. It's a weird gift. It's a weird thing to spring on someone, but then it, it is weird to put, you would think that it would just be a recording of something he once said, like what, right? Wouldn't that be the idea? Cause all of these holograms, like that's the thing is a lot of people seek, like, Oh, I'm going to go see, you know, like Tupac at Coachella and it's a hologram. They're all, it's a fraud. Like that's an actor who played, they recorded some guy pretending that's not like when they first introduced this technology, you kind of think it's going to be, like, oh, it's video footage of Tupac that they're going to, like, render into a 3D. Like, no, no, no. It's just some guy. It's not Tupac. Yeah, it's a guy in, like, a, one of those mocap Right. Suits. It's like this is purely an illusion. It would be just like we animated Tupac Gullum style into a movie. Where it's just purely making <laughs> And the 
that's the same thing with Robert Kardashian. Like that's in no way is that him. It's not a thing he said. It's not a. It's not footage of him. It's like a deep fake. It's like happy birthday. Here's a deep fake. But is the deep fake so fake that you connect with it somehow? I mean, Kim said she did. I don't know. To, to me, it's honestly, I, I feel like it's one of those things like virtual reality, too. They like fucked it up by introducing it before it was really ready. Like it could be great. It's got so much promise, but we get these like half ass versions of it that don't really work. And now everybody's like, oh, I don't really care about holograms. That's dumb. Like holograms could be really cool, but they got to like actually work right. Yeah, absolutely. And this just look, you know, this just looks like a Disneyland effect. Like it doesn't look like a real person is there. Yeah. And like, it's like in VR, we're like, oh, I guess I get what this is supposed to be, but I don't really feel like I'm in the Oasis. I mean, what if you got like Andy Serkis to do the hologram? To be Robert Kardashian. Because like, that's the problem is like, Andy Serkis will nail it if you need him to be like a wrinkly old Jedi or like a bug monster or something. But I don't know if he could just impersonate someone from your life perfectly. No, just the moves take on, like, Andy Serkis is a, is a movement savant, you I know? I feel like, yeah, if, you're, if your uncle just happened to be, like, kind of a gangly guy from certain parts of England, Serkis is going to nail this to the wall. No, I'm not saying the, vo- the voice impression, just the physicality. If, you're, if your beloved deceased relative was a South African arms dealer, I feel like Andy Serkis <laughs> is the guy. We're going to bring him in. Lon, he's you Ulysses could, Claw, folks. He's Ulysses Claw. Yes, from the Black Panther. Uh, Lon, if you could bring back one person with a hologram, who would it well, be? Well, I wouldn't. That's why. That's my point. Is that if it was really, if you could have for a momentary sensation of, oh, this person that I care about who's gone is back, like then I would want to maybe do it. But I don't want this hollow shell of an experience where they're like a force ghost, and I know it's just some actor like pretending to be my poppy, you know, like that doesn't sound appealing to me at all, really. And like, I don't like the, I don't even like the like Rogue One, like, oh, he made it look like it's Peter Cushing, but it's not cartoon Peter Cushing. Like, just recast it. Just make Charles Dance the new Grand Moff Tarkin. That's much better than trying to, trying to fool me into thinking this cartoon is the guy. Yeah, I'm always dubious, and I, and it takes me out of the movie. Like when we have to watch, yeah, you know, Grand Moff Tarkin or Princess Leia after the fact. But to answer your question in another way, if they were going to do this, here's what I and I've long felt this way. I think a very cathartic thing would be to make like a few extra episodes of The Crocodile Hunter with like a fake digital Steve Irwin. I think that would make all of us feel better. Like he's still at it. He's not going to let this get him down. Oh, you know, like one more, like show him with some rays and it's like nice and nothing happens. I think that would make us all I think that would have set us all at ease. Nice. I think maybe I'd bring back one of my childhood heroes, Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, there you go. That's nice. So I could see him one more time flying off the top turnbuckle with that atomic elbow. But just he would also digitally do a Slim Jim commercial, even in his contract. You'd be like, well, before I fade back into oblivion. Yeah, brother, snap into a Slim Jim. Oh, yeah. Or maybe I could just have a battle royale and have Macho Man Randy Savage wrestle Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> yes. 
and Sean Connery is there. And, yes, oh, and yeah. music by Nipsey Hussle. Yeah, all of our favorites, all of our fallen favorites. Lon, there were some uh, controversies about the cutest uh, little guy in streaming I'm actually, this week. I'm a little surprised this wasn't more of a controversy. Can I just say now? I, I don't know. I'm going to spoil this week's The Mandalorian a little. It's not yeah. really a spoiler well, heavy. Last week's. Yeah, it's yeah. not really a spoiler heavy kind of thing. But so the, there is a frog lady alien who is getting hitching a ride from the Mandalorian because she's going to her new sort of spawning grounds to get her eggs fertilized. And these are weird to understand. This is it for her. She's not making any more eggs. Lon, do you, have you ever been to spawning grounds to fertilize eggs? No, I can't. I'm not invited. <laughs> you know, usually when people are going to spawning grounds, they're like, Lon, you, you, this is, you, you stay back. We'll, get, we'll meet up oh, with I'm you Oh, I'm sorry, later. pal. I know. That's how it goes for us amphibians. So they're on the way there. She's got the eggs in this see-through container. Why make your eggs in a see-through container? I don't know. Uh, why not just keep them with you the whole time? Probably a good idea. But she doesn't. Uh, and then we see Baby Yoda, and I believe it is being played as humor. Like, it's to be cute that he's doing this. He's, start, he starts, he's precocious. He starts eating, because he's a, we've established previously that he is very carnivorous. We've seen him eat frogs. We've seen him eat other creatures. He's carnivorous? Yes. And he also likes to mess with stuff. He'll mess with the different dials on the Mandalorian's ship sometimes. And yeah. Yeah. But, that, but there is, there's mischievous and like a little, you know, cantankerous or whatever. And then there is like murder, like, like, like brutally genocidal. Cause we're to understand like these are the last, like, this is it for this whole family line that he's like wiping out. And I, I don't know. It, it kind of treads on that. And I feel like some Star Wars media has this where it's like the whimsy kind of collides with the darkness and the grittiness until you get like uncomfortable whimsy where it's like you know it's like i don't like this much edge on my whimsy it's just well oftentimes it seems like star wars doesn't realize the repercussions of some of the moves like when oscar isaac in the last jedi went rogue and called on the squadron to attack and got everyone killed. Like that kind of is just like, eh, you got everyone killed, but you're still, uh, you're still our golden boy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would say like solo is another example where the droid L337 gets shot and they're like, Oh, but she's got these nav computers and maps. We need upload her brain into the Falcon. She'll be the millennium Falcon now. And it's like, that's an existential nightmare. You're putting this sentient creature's brain into a ship that's going to be like abandoned for 30 years that, that nobody, you know, she can't communicate now. She's like locked in this prison of being a spaceship. I mean, imagine being alive and awake, but you're just installed into this spaceship and nobody ever is going to talk to you again. And Oh, that's a waking nightmare. That's yeah. like being in a co being in a coma, yeah, but being fully right. aware. It's like, so she's in a Harlan Ellison short story for all eternity. It's just like stuff like that. And so, yeah, I I don't know. It just rubbed me the wrong way. Though, like, so Baby Yoda's a a villain. Like he's he like I say he they we don't know gender. But they're completely indifferent to this woman's suffering. And you might be like, well, they're just a baby, but they're fifty years old. We've been told. Wait, so you're sure we don't know Yoda's gender? Yoda? The character Yoda 
from yes. the original Star Wars movies, I'm pretty sure is a male. I'm saying the child in the Mandalorian is not actually, they call it baby Yoda because it's the same alien species and it's a baby, but the timeline would make no sense. Obviously oh. that's not a baby version of Yoda. Oh, wow. Am I blowing your mind right now? The a Mandalorian takes place after Return of the Jedi. So Yoda's dead at this point. It's true. I'm a fucking dope. What a Star Wars dipshit I am. I'm just like, that's Yoda. Wow. I can't believe we're having this breakthrough now in season two. How could that be Yoda? It, you're absolutely right. But because we haven't seen anyone from the original trilogy until like the last episode. I mean, we really haven't seen anybody from the original trilogy in The Mandalorian because it's set many years after the original trilogy ended. But they're, they've made that pretty clear. I mean, there's we've seen X-Wings. Cara Dune was a shock trooper for the Rebels. Boba Fett was in it last week. I guess I just got brainwashed by the idea of Baby Yoda. Right, which was the name. That's why they don't say that on the show. We've said that in popular culture. But on the show, they just call it the child. And we don't um, know. And we don't know its origin. Maybe it is Yoda's son or daughter. Maybe it's a oh clone. My God. Please, if you're listening to this and you are also fooled, because I can't be the only one. Listen. Maybe, no, I really think I'm the know. only one on this. No, we are the silent majority. The, the, the timeline really couldn't be clearer about all this. It's very clear when you think about it, but maybe I wasn't I thinking. Mean, from episode at one, they've been like, the Empire has fallen. There's no more Empire. And you were like, yeah, you know how the Empire fell before Yoda was born. That's a timeline that makes I, sense in Star Wars. Yeah. Yoda wasn't there when the Empire began. Oh, he was exactly right there when the Empire began. Oh, yes. that's right. All right. Okay. We're going we're gonna to get but through this. We're going to get through Please this. hit me up at Hal Rudnick and tell me if you had the same problem I did. I can't be the only one. You're going to be a lonely, lonely Twitter account this week. Oh, my gosh. So you're saying this was too bloodthirsty and ruthless. The, the child is a character. I thought this was a pretty... I just I feel like their calibration of what would be like, oh, ho, ho, that's darkly comic versus like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this character now. They're very morally shaded. I feel like the, the balance was just a little off this week. I found it a little off. Yeah, but it's he's just a doofy little child. I mean, if, if he was in there and his role in the show was just force of nature, like this is just a thing that week to week is going to complicate the Mandalorian's life and he's just got to deal with it, that would be one thing. But they're not playing the child that way. They're making him endearing. He, it's like a lone wolf and cub thing. Like, we care about their relationship. No, but, okay, I, th I think it's the same thing. He, the child doesn't get that he's practically genociding this race of frog uh, I mean, people. Like they, they even play beats during the episode of him, like, coming around and sympathizing with this woman, like, like becoming friends with her and understanding her. And then at the very end, to, to hit the comedy beat one time, they have another egg shoved in his mouth. So like, there's a, there is an awareness there. I'm not sure I agree. I don't know. I think it's like, you know, a baby will come by and laugh with you, and then the baby will pick up and put a goddamn Lego in his mouth or eat the cupcake that you were planning on giving to someone for their birthday. This is a 
50-year-old baby that's connected to the Force. It's not identical to, like, your dumb human. But baby. it's a goo-goo. It's still like, oh, I can barely fend for myself, baby. Goo-goo-goo. It's not a fully aware. You can make baby talk at me all that I want. Uh, all that you want. I, 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 I know, and you do want. You've asked for more behind the scenes. I'm not convinced. I feel like this is too far. I feel like this, this, this is a little too far over the edge. Pull it back, Peyton Reed and makers of The Mandalorian. Right. This episode directed by Ant-Man's Peyton and Reed. Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasps, Peyton Reed. Well, Lon, I think you're giving too much credit to the child for like having developed awareness. I feel like he's just like a little creature right now who's so amorphous, like he'll, his brain is not fully formed, and he'll go around and just like put things in their mouth, touch a hot stove. They're playing it as more of a character, more fleshed out than that. And I think that's a convenient, like, when you want him to be able to just be funny and crazy, you're like, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing. But then in other moments, he sort of clearly does know what he's doing. So you think he's a little mischief maker, a little, yeah. and he's got a, a little dark streak. I think by one or two, human babies have a developed personality. And this thing is 50. So maybe he can't totally survive on his own just yet. But it's not. I'm like, Yoda was only 800. We're not talking about beings that live for millions of years here. 50 right, still but- like, all right. You're into it. You're you're coming along. 50 in Yoda years, you don't know the correlation. No, I don't know. If I did, that would be upsetting. It's good that I don't know. If I was I able mean, to sit here and be like, uh, a Yoda baby is 50 is the human equivalent of X, you'd be like, why does Lon know that? Yes, you, you know the equivalent there. You can that's, speak Elvish. Yeah, that's not, that's too far. I feel like Baby Yoda did not realize they were eggs. He just saw a yummy-looking thing. I mean, but why would I trust you? You're literally just figuring out the timeline, episode 10. God damn it, don't use my own logic against me. Let's move on from this. So, Lon, uh... I think sand people travel single file to hide their numbers. That's my theory. It's a, it's a quote. It's a quote from Star Wars. You wouldn't know about it. Oh, okay. Listen, I am not the star. I'm not. The, I'm not the Star Wars aficionado you're looking for. Moving on, we uh, both watched some of HBO Max's How to with John Wilson. It's just HBO. I believe they're airing this on HBO, and it's also streaming on HBO Max. Just, to, just for yes, clarity. just for clarity. I really dug it. It felt like kind of a. It's it it, it vibes like a stream of conscious with someone like going around and like a really like fun charming almost like instagram feed but that has a larger like comes together in a larger picture uh i i was really enjoying this show and it's all from a first person like he walks around he's the cameraman and also the narrator and he walks around mostly new york every once in a while he'll go somewhere else and he just films you know, things that he sees, and then he edits them together into collages of, like, here are some interesting things that I saw, and then he ties it together with narration. That's, like, loosely themed. Like, the first one is, uh, you know, advice about small talk and how to start spark conversations. The second one is loosely themed about scaffolding and why New York is always so associated with and covered with scaffolding and whatever. I mean, it's funny, and, and he comes up with clever ways to tie together what he's talking about and the images, I really like some of the interview segments where he'll like actually talk to the people that he's encountered about whatever the topic du jour is. 
But I also feel like there is this other level of which we're just at the beginning of the show. So who knows if I'm right or wrong. But it's produced by Nathan Fielder and some of the Nathan For You people. And I feel like they're sort of doing the same thing, which is if you just watch one-off episodes of Nathan For You, it's basically like a prank show. Like, I'll go into this business and I'll convince them that I have a crazy plan for improving their business and then we'll film the funny stuff that happens. But there's another level to it where he's turning the Nathan Fielder that's in the show into a character. And if you watch it over the course of seasons, the character like develops and gets shaded until finally the big finale is like almost a character study of Nathan and this guy that he meets and how they connect or whatever. And it's really subtle how they do it over the course of all of Nathan for you. And I didn't really get hip to it for a long time. I feel like John Wilson is also doing this, that we're supposed to be also kind of getting to know the guy behind the camera that we don't really see. And he's baking some of his personality into it. And, and he's playing it like a character in some way. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think, you know, y- y- you have to have some kind of engaging character with like a point of view and some humor. Yeah, I definitely think the jury's out if he's building yeah. this bigger thing that's going to become. Now I'm going to infuse myself into some kind of storyline in addition to each episode's exploration. And I mean, I'm using the term storyline loosely. Like, I don't think it's ever going to become a narrative show. It's a storyline in that, like, Nathan, eventually, if you watched enough Nathan for you, it became obvious that Nathan Fielder is very lonely, and he's using these opportunities and these businesses as excuses to try to make friends and get to know people and maybe even find a girlfriend. And, like, that's, it's, he, he doesn't, it's not even a thing he hits in every episode. It's just occasional at first. But then by the end, the, the desperation kind of increases and the pressure to, like, I, you know, and bringing people back because it's like, well, I really related to this guy, like whatever. And I feel like that's the kind of stuff that John Wilson, the other guy, I, I think maybe the best show at doing this ever is, uh, and it ties into another thing we're going to talk about, is Tim Heidecker's On Cinema at the Cinema podcast with Greg Turkington or, or Adult Swim show and whatever. Like, Yeah, you, you can find it on YouTube. There are lots of episodes there. Yeah, and, and adultswim.com has them. They're amazing. But that show... At first, it just plays as a parody of like basically what we're doing right now, like movie. Yeah, like a parrot, like or like a parody of Screen Junkies or something. Yeah, exactly. Like movie and TV podcast. But then over time, the but then oh, well, it's like these two guys who don't really know what they're talking about trying to be Siskel and Ebert. And over time, though, the alternate reality Tim Heidecker and Greg Turkington characters completely take over, and like it has nothing to do with movies or movie reviews or the kinds of shows that used to be parody it's taken on it's built up this completely fictional world and there's tie-in there's other tie-in shows and inside jokes take on a life of their own and um become the focus of the show and heidecker's made like a tv show called decker that's produced by the character tim heidecker from on cinema and they made a movie about his fake run for district attorney in san Bernardino. anyway I don't think John Wilson's going that far, but I do feel like you're meant to, in, in even just these first few episodes, you're meant to watch this stuff at face value and it's funny and it works on its own, but also maybe take a step back and start thinking about, well, who is this guy and why is he putting these videos together and where is he coming up with these topics? And like, 
what's his deal? And I feel like there were already like a little bit hints of that on the margins. And I'm curious to see how that's going to develop. I definitely think, you know, his personality is coming out. But yeah, I'm going to reserve judgment as whether or not he's seeding the clouds for something like that. Even though, like, I went to my ex-girlfriend to get a sweater back. He's leaving you little breadcrumbs of who he really is behind the facade of making this weird show. But yeah, I found this show, it's really charming. And it uh, has the dual purpose of, or, or the, the dual accomplishment of, oh, you learn a little something, but it's also subversive and awkwardly funny. Like if you enjoy the awkwardness of Nathan for you, it definitely catches those moments. Like he goes down to learn small talk and to try to get better with people. He goes on vacation and maybe, well, he says in the show by accident, but you know, maybe by design, he wound up where MTV was having their spring break MTV party to go. Cancun, I believe, is where he goes. Yeah. Again, it, it does take on this weird almost narrative because in one scene, he goes into a travel agent to, as an example of making small talk and to interview her about small talk, but then she ends up convincing him to take a trip to Cancun and that leads to the next segment. And so he does kind of end up compiling these thoughts into a rough, kind of a of narrative, even though it's not really a show that's about story. Right. Yeah. It also kind of reminded me, uh, have you ever seen Joe Para talks to you? Yeah. Yep. On Adult Swim. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, a, it's that, that same kind of like, like gentle, thoughtful comedy. Deadpan. Very deadpan. Yes. There's also a sneaker reviewer on YouTube named Brad Hall. Oh, yes. Yes who does these very dead, like he'll be talking about like the flyest shit or like the newest, like hype beast sneaker stuff. But he's like the whitest white dude who has very bland fashion sense, except for his kicks. And he will be in this kind of voice talking about his Yeezys or his Air Jordans or whatever the case may be. But yeah, definitely recommend checking out How To with John Wilson. It's got a fun, laid-back vibe, and it's kind of just like one of these shows that shines a spotlight on like the idiosyncratic nature of the human experience, and we get to kind of go on this fun little journey. Yeah, check that out on HBO, HBO Max, or any of your fine HBO. Yeah, any of the 18 HBO platforms. Yes. So we mentioned Tim Heidecker, and he's got a new show along with John C. Riley, Fred Armisen, and some uh, other cohorts uh, rear their heads at times. Rotating guest, guest stars, yeah. Yes, Moonbase 8 on Showtime. Yes. And yeah, so far I've watched a, a, a few episodes. I like it. I'm not flipping out over it, but I'm enjoying it. It's a very odd show. And it does, it seems almost like in a weird way, it is designed for the reaction you just gave. Like, it's weird to see a comedy show where it's not that it doesn't work or that it's not funny. It is. And, and some of the scenes I thought were very funny, but it really doesn't feel like it's trying to make you laugh a lot. It feels like it's trying to make you kind of mildly chuckle. It's like an intentional effort to create something that's like wryly amusing rather than something that's like hysterical. Yeah. Hey, uh, Lon, a uh, weird question. What was the Korean zombie movie that we talked about uh, a few weeks ago? Oh, Alone. Hashtag Alone. 
Yeah, hashtag alone. So you and I were saying that that was the zombie movie for these very times that we're in because it's claustrophobic and it's about staying in your apartment. Recommend checking that out if you haven't seen it on Netflix. I feel like this show, it's also of these times because these guys, it does feel, you know, it's a workplace comedy, so to speak, but it does feel like roommates who are trapped together and they're not necessarily friends. They don't necessarily love spending time together, but they're, it's foisted upon them. And it's the isolation. They're, they're quarantined in a different way because they're supposed to be simulating. I mean, it, it has a lot in common with, I think, a lot of other Tim and Eric, Tim Heidecker style comedy. And John C. Riley too, I guess, has done stuff like this. Oh, yeah. I mean, Steve Brule himself. Yeah, where it's just, it's like, it's relentlessly focused on the pointlessness of, like, these guys are going through the motions, but there's no need. It doesn't amount to anything. There's no need to do it. They're just doing it because that's, like, what they do. And it's this pathetic spectacle of, like, keeping up appearances. So, like, they're in Arizona. It's a simulation of what it would be like to live at a moon base. So they have to go through the motions of if this was the moon or else the simulation doesn't work. But it's like sad because somebody will be like stealing their garbage cans, but they got to put the spacesuit on real quick to go outside because otherwise why be there? Because it's a simulation. But it's also like, well, why be there? Regardless, this is stupid. You look stupid. Yeah, they're comporting themselves like they're going through just like every experiment and basically everything Matt Damon had to do in The Martian, except replace the moon with Mars. Like every pathetic, schlubby, middle-aged guy in every Tim and Eric thing or in every John C. Riley thing, we're kind of we're kind of laughing at, you know, how sad of a farce this is, that they would even try to be like they're ever gonna really go to the moon. And I think that your enjoyment of it is sort of rooted in how much that kind of comedy appeals to you. The other thing I thought was really odd about it, and I'll get to things I like, but there's one other thing that I thought kind of was strange. They're basically, the three main guys are all playing basically the same character with like small tweaks. Like John C. Rowley's like this pathetic middle-aged burnout and he's got like debts. He's in like crazy financial distress and that's his bit. Yeah, his Honolulu helicopter tour company went on. And then Tim Heidecker is this like pathetic, pasty, white, middle-aged burnout. But his hook is that he's like super religious and he's got 12 kids. Yes. <laughs> and then Fred Armisen is a pathetic, pasty, white, middle-aged burnout. And his game is like he's the child of brilliant scientists and he never like he went to MIT, but then never amounted to that much. Yeah, living in daddy's successful shadow. It's really just kind of three angles on the same guy, right? Like, there's a sameness to all of them and to all of the jokes and to all of the scenarios. And I don't know, it's hard to know what to make of that. Yeah, they are really three pathetic middle-aged guys. And, and like, you um, know, as well as I know, anybody who's ever taken a seminar about writing a pilot or who's ever, tell, you know, any talk to anybody who's like, Here's what to do. Here's the basics of TV writing. Like the very first thing, one of the very first things is that your primary cast of characters, it's got to, there's got to be some diversity. And I don't just mean like racial diversity. I mean, like in terms of what they're like, in terms of who they are, in terms of what perspective they're bringing to the scenario. So if I wrote a pilot that was like 
the three main characters are three people with sort of the same backstory and point of view, look the same, come from the same kind of world, had the same goal, you'd be like, eh, I don't know, like mix this up a little bit. It's just, it's going to be hard to constantly come up with new scenarios. Yeah, even uh, like, you know, take it back to like, just like a simpler comedic formula. Like if you take Mo, Larry and Curly, the three stooges, they have clearly defined roles. They each one has a distinctly different energy. I mean, even Homer Simpson has picked up Mo as their leader. Exactly. And like, They've kind of done that, like John C. Riley's sort of in charge, but it doesn't really ever amount to that much. Like, they're all basically playing the same beat over and over. And it's sometimes funny because they're very funny gentlemen. And, like, you know, some of the scenarios are funny. Like, I enjoyed it for what it was, but it does feel like kind of half thought, half considered in some ways. Like, yeah, I, w- I wonder about that. I would slightly disagree with you. It doesn't feel, I don't get much of a Tim and Eric vibe from this show because I feel a lot more subtle. It's much more realistic. It's much more grounded. I didn't mean it in that way. I just mean the target of so much Tim and Eric comedy is like, you know, I'm like a sad middle-aged guy and I'm going to try to play it off somehow. Like, ah, oh, I'm not sad middle-aged like you think. It did feel a little bit like that. Like once again, we're returning to like, nothing is sadder to these guys than like, a 50-year-old guy who's still trying to, like, make it happen. Like, my dreams are still going to come true. Like, there's something that is such a focus. And both Tim and Eric Wareheim is a producer on this, I will add. And I just think there is something to those guys. Like, nothing strikes those guys more darkly in their hearts as pathetic than that. And they keep seeming to return to it as a source for their comedy. I think Beef House, a more a funnier exploration of the same theme from earlier this year, that's on Adult Swim, right? Right, that's Tim Heidecker and uh, Eric Wareheim uh, starring in that, yeah. that That is more directly a Tim and Eric, like that's right in line with their other Tim and Eric stuff. Oh yeah, like, yeah, their flavor of humor. We're kind of um, middling about this show here, but I think there's, it's definitely worth checking out in as much as, you know, these are three super funny guys and they will at least several times an episode be funny by accident, you know what I mean? You know, definitely worthwhile give this show a go yeah right i didn't hate it i know it might sound that way i don't know it wasn't what i thought it was going to be and i do feel like on some levels it could have used a little bit more i don't know thinking through consideration uh there's a layer or two missing because it's just it's six episodes and they're all basically like you get it like i even at six half hour episodes it sort of feels like that's it that's all you got you know like where shouldn't this develop in some way yeah. So are you saying that the uh, the character development or them being so similar might not be by design? It's just kind of by happenstance? To me, that's a big issue that because they do occasionally bring in another character to like mix it up with the core ensemble. And those characters tend to have distinctive personalities. But it, it does feel on some level like it's just there's a sameness to it that sets in right away. And I do think that, yeah, if one or two of them were playing guys who brought in a little bit of a different energy, that would be pretty key. That would help a lot. Because otherwise it does feel like just piling on these three sad bastards over and over again. 
It's just like, yeah, these are three sad bastards. Like, yeah. It is funnier to watch losers rather than winners. Sad bastards rather than happy bastards. But there's different shades of sad bastard. I think that's what I'm saying. Oh, there's two different shades of sad bastards right here on this podcast. Yeah, like right here, baby. <laughs> but yeah. there is a bit of a monotony in the show. And I think that goes with the claustrophobia of the show as well, somewhat by design, because that is. Thematically, there's monotony, but that doesn't mean the show itself should be monotonous. That means that that's what it's about. There's a compelling way to make a show about guys who are experiencing monotony, because otherwise, why would you want to watch a show that's going to be purposefully monotonous? Sure, like, like the movie Moon. Right, that's a great example. Of like, he's undergoing a monotonous situation, but we are not watching the movie being like, oh, God. And I don't mean the show is like dull, deadly dull. I just mean like there's only one real beat for them to return to a lot, which is like, well, that didn't go well. Oh, how embarrassing for him. And it's just like, I, you know, like how, how often can we really do that? Because even Arrested Development, like the Bluths are all losers and psychos and narcissists but of different stripes, you know? Like, maybe is not the same character as Job, who's not the same character as, you know, Michael, but they're all bad. Yeah, they're they're all bad people, but different flavors of bad people. And these, yeah. I would like to say, to come back with one positive thing. Yeah. Aesthetically, it's really held together well. Like, it's shot really well, and it, like, looks great. And Steve Drozd from Flaming Lips did the music which I really liked. It's got like a very unique sort of soundscape to it. It's produced by A24, the studio, and it does have kind of an indie film vibe to it in terms of the technical aspects, which I like. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Do you know off the top of your head, Lon, any other TV fair that A24 has produced? I believe there are a few examples, but not much. Oh, yeah, the the Eric Andre Netflix special recently, that was them. Oh, yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch apparently was A24. Uh, they do Rami Youssef's show, Rami, that Hulu show. Oh, yeah. Golden Globe winning show. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and here we go. Uh, there is an HBO comedy special. It's terrific. It's by one of the guys who was on that that show, Los Spookies, also with Fred Armisen. Yes, also with Fred Armisen. My favorite mm-hmm. shapes by Julio Torres is the comedy special. Hal, if you have not seen this, it is really delightful. Ooh, I'm going to make a note it's of that. It's an HBO comedy special. Julio Torres is one of the guys from Los Spookies, so you'll recognize Yeah, him. and Los if you haven't seen Los Spookies, highly recommend it. That is so weird and delightful. So the concept of this comedy special is he's sitting in front of this conveyor belt and various shaped objects come out and he holds them up and explains to you why this is one of his favorite shapes. And it's... He's able to take this incredibly, like, simple, weird concept and turn it into an hour-long comedy special that's really terrific and and funny. I read an article about it where he was doing it for a while and he had this, like, conveyor belt that he'd have to, like, ship and bring with him to venues to do this show. It's really fun. Oh, wow. Highly recommend. That sounds pretty neat. So that's all, yeah, 824 TV productions. Very cool. Oh, we have uh, one special guest. I will also... uh recommend before we get to our our special guest if you uh, are a tim heidecker fan or if you like tim and eric his comedy special which is on youtube an evening with tim 
Heidecker is really a delightful hour of kind of, you know, you call it alternative comedy or anti-comedy. He's kind of spoofing a lot of tropes that stand-up comedians will do. It's really, it's like a parody of stand-up, but of a certain, of a certain kind of stand-up. Yeah, like a little bit aggro male, kind of like late 90s, early 2000s. That's exactly, yes. I was like, the. it's like there was that moment where... The Dane Cook moment, and I don't mean to say he's a, yes. he's not specifically going after Dane Cook at all, but it's that moment where it was like purposefully like rude and it's sort of in your face and like aggressive male comedy is sort of what he's tackling. And it's very yeah, funny. aggressive male comedy like this one's for the fellas. All right, ladies, I'll let you in on it, too. Ugh. Yeah, and I, I don't you. I know some people are going to be offended by this next one. You know, like that kind of a voice, and even like trying to pick on people in the audience, but it doesn't go well. And yep, so absolutely worth uh, checking out. We're giving people a lot of comedy recommendations this episode, Lana. Oh, uh, we, we have someone who wanted to comment real quick. I, I told him what we were talking about, and um, I'm going to turn the mic over to my pal for a moment, Leonard Clawfoot. Leonard Clawfoot. Leonard Clawfoot. All right, I've never, I've never met this gentleman. Yeah. He's here. Thank you, Hal. Lon, I want to thank you for having me. I heard you guys were talking about Moonbase 8, this new Showtime show. Yeah. And I heard that, and I, kn- I know the Binge Boys it has a huge following. And I wanted to get the word out to everybody that uh, why are we talking about the moon or this show about, oh, potentially going to the moon or returning to the moon, if that's what they're training to do, when in reality... We've never been to the moon in the first place. Who's with me? Can I get an amen, Lon Harris? No, because that's a terrible, stupid take. Of course we've been to the moon. It's long established. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I guess you did not eat your red pill for breakfast this morning, Lon Harris. That's about men's rights, the, the, the red pill, blue pill. I don't. That's not even about the moon. I use it for the moon deniers. For the moon, specifically. Moon, de- moon deniers. Right. I'm a moon truther. I'm a moon truther, okay? Stanley Kubrick has made many great films. Clockwork Orange, 2001. Oh, and a little 1969 joint called The Moon Landing. But wouldn't it have more like long tracking shots if it was a Stanley Kubrick? Like, where do we don't go around, like down the hallway of the moon? Oh, uh, if you get the director's cut of the 1969 Stanley Kubrick joint, the moon landing, you got all sorts of tracking shots. I thought that was a live TV broadcast. I didn't realize that was edited for television and there would be a director's cut. That's interesting. I have seen the director's cut. So interesting that you're taking this issue with Moonbase 8 as opposed to, say, The Right Stuff, which was just on TV and was actually about astronauts. Oh. This show is really, they're just in Arizona. That's a load of crap. Oh, okay. First Man, that's a bunch of bullshit. The original Right Stuff movie from the 80s, that's about a hogwash. It's all BS. And Lon, you're sitting here dreaming about the moon at night. I bet you go out to try to get a moon tan or, or drink a beer in the moonlight or go on a romantic stroll in the moonlight or take off your clothes and run around in the moonlight. Isn't Are you a moony? Yeah, those are, those are all things that I like to do all the time. Yeah, I could tell you're a real moon man. You're a real moon man. Or the MTV moon man that they give out. Do all of those pop stars realize that they got a fictional award? Classic McDonald's spokesperson, Mac Tonight, played by actor Doug Jones. It's true. Oh. It's a true fact. Oh, uh, oh you mean from uh, Who Played the Creature? The 
Black Lagoon creature from uh, you know Shape of Water. That guy. He's all, he's all Guillermo del Toro's monsters. He was Mac tonight in the McDonald's commercial. The, the piano playing moon faced Jazzbo. That's a pretty cool fun fact. That is, right? See? We're, we're, we're building bridges, I feel like. That's what matters. But let me blow your mind with the fact that the moon is not even real. Now, this I really am going to have to take it. Because uh, are you suggesting the moon is a hologram? Like, how is the moon The moon there? is either. There are two theories. I go back and forth on them. It's either a hologram or a space station. No one knows except the powers that be, the Illuminati. Well, if it was a space station... It would be real. It would just not be what we think it is. In fairness. I mean, if there is something there, it's real. We're just we're just mistaken about it being a rock. But it's not a real moon. It's not a it's not a moon in a moon sense. Right. It is man-made. Okay. That if you believe the moon is a space station, you can't just be like, I don't believe in the moon. The moon's not real. You'd be like, we're all confused about the nature of the moon. I don't want to tell you how to do your crank activism. I'm just making a suggestion. Crank? Crank activism? It's a little it's a little bit of crank. I mean, if you believe the moon's not. My father was a cameraman on that Stanley Kubrick shoot. Really? It took place in a warehouse in North Hollywood, California. North Hollywood? Why would they shoot up there? It's very hot. Well, I don't know what the fan situation was. Yeah, on the day Kubrick. Of the shoot. It feels like Kubrick could, you know, you get on a back lot somewhere. Well, this is top secret stuff. This has always been a, a question for me. If, if you were going to make a covert, secret, conspiracy, moon landing film. Yeah, talk to me, baby. Why would you hire the world's most famous film director? I mean, certainly anybody could make it look like a TV broadcast. Because he made 2001. He knows how to make space movies. Yeah, but I mean, it's a, it's, it, it shouldn't. And look. he made the ultimate space like, movie. That's the problem. Lots of people had made space movies. He made an elaborate space travel movie. You don't even need that. It's just guys bouncing around. Anybody could have done that, man. You could have gotten like the guy who's shooting like American Bandstand to come shoot this. And it's a lot easier to keep that guy quiet. You can even kill him afterwards if you need to. Stan Kubrick, people are going to notice if he disappears one day. People know. What about the guy who shot American Bandstand's family? They're going to be like, Where, where's dad? Where's dad? Oh, he ain't come home. Well, you replace him. Dick Clark Productions, they're all over it. I think I like my conspiracy better that there was a fake moon landing, but they didn't have Kubrick direct it. They just had some journeyman director come in. It was like a guy who did. That's not the case. That's not the case. A guy who did six episodes of Donna Reed just showed up one day and shot that for them. Come on. Well, anyway. Yeah, I think I should sign you up for some of my literature. Well, Maybe after you take your red pill and realize that the moon landing was fake. All right. I'm Leonard Clawfoot. By the way, I'll take that red pill. But then I'll be like, wait a minute. I hate ladies now. This was the wrong red pill. There are many kinds of red pills out there. Now, well, now I'll never get another date. This is a nightmare. Also, by the way, my father's not the only important person in my family. My great grandfather, Clarence Clawfoot, invented the Clawfoot bathtub. Oh, A lot of people think it's just because it's got claw feet on the bottom. That's what I see. But that's my grandpa's last name and my last name, Clawfoot. I want to thank you for equal time. No moon, no moon. Check me out at nomoon.net, nomoon.net, where you are going to find truth bombs. If you want to wade into a minefield of truth bombs, check out nomoon.net. Thank you for having me. Tough to get that URL because, you know, nomoon.com could be 
It's got to be a sought after. Oh, that was nomoon.net. I think it was that. Right, Leonard? Oh. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay, right. It's competitive. competitive. People who hate being moons. They've got activism on their behalf. I hope Leonard doesn't have COVID because he was very close to me. He was very close to the mic, too, so I would get that cleaned off. You know, his droplets are everywhere. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to just uh, wade into the uh, wade into these droplets. Yeah, just listen. It's a droplet safari over there. He'll be fine. He'll probably be fine. I hear it's just like the flu. Don't worry. We're we're rounding the corner. <laughs> There's no moon, and COVID can't hurt you. If, if you've learned anything from listening to Binge Boys, make it these two things. Thank you. There's an old favorite coming to streaming this week on several different platforms, The Chappelle Show. Yes. Comedy Central's Chappelle Show, Dave Chappelle. So it, you can find it on Netflix, HBO Max. Yeah. Anywhere else? No, those two. Yeah, and Dave Chappelle, when he was hosting Saturday Night Live this past weekend, had some uh, um, a really uh, funny, poignant bit about the show being everywhere and him not receiving uh, royalties from this. Well, it's... It's complicated rights issues. Dave Chappelle's going to be just fine, folks. I wouldn't worry about Dave Chappelle. He's doing okay. Yeah, he'll be living on his compound in Ohio uh, just fine. There is one episode, it's worth noting, of Chappelle's show that was not, that has been pulled from circulation. It will not, it will not be featured in the collection like ever again. It was not pulled for this reason, but it is the episode that is most famous for featuring the Lil John at the airport sketch, where she's like, all right, I just have to book a flight. He's like, what? Like that one. That's not the sketch. There there was a sketch on that same episode where Dave goes inside a physical manifestation of the internet and he meets up with Ron Jeremy and together they go watch Paris Hilton's sex tape together. Ron Jeremy's now been accused of serial sexual assault and the whole episode, the, the, the Paris Hilton sex tape references, the whole thing is just kind of unseemly now. So that entire season two episode is just not part of the Chappelle Show collection at all. So if you have it on physical media, it's there. But otherwise, it will not be streaming on Netflix or HBO Max. And they're saying eventually Chappelle Show will probably end up on Paramount Plus because it was a it's a Comedy Central slash Viacom show. It won't be there either. Like Viacom is pulling it from all streaming libraries. Oh, wow crazy but uh you know it makes sense uh i mean yeah they just don't want to be associated with ron jeremy at all and that one classic little john sketch is on youtube so if you just want to watch the little john at the airport bit that that's still out there in the world right and it's interesting that that kind of reminds me of just like something a vibe i was getting from the show i, I mean so funny some of the funniest shit but you get the feeling watching this show from what 2003 2002 today that a lot of this comedy wouldn't be made. A lot of it is really raw and a lot edgier. I think it's it's both. It is raw and it is making the kinds of jokes that we sort of like blanch at now more. But I also think that it feels a little, and I'm not. it's not a knock. Like, look, Chappelle Show was what it was and it was of its moment. It was brilliant. We all loved it. But looking back on it now, I feel like it also is dated in a weird way. Like, these are conversations that we have all started to have more and it doesn't feel quite as much like ripping open these taboo subjects like it did when it first aired. Like, I'll give you one example. There's the Haters Ball, which introduced us to the Professional Haters Society, which is one of my favorite sketches of all time. I love all those characters. Patrice O'Neill, so much fun to see him again. Charlie Murphy, 
But there's a sequel to that where it's like the haters travel through time and they go back to like slave days and hate on slave owners. And it, it references, and I think this was maybe the first time I ever saw this reference in pop culture. The idea that a black person, for a black person in America, time travel is really not that attractive of a concept, like going forward maybe. But you don't really want to go back in time. They weren't being treated very well. There's not really a lot of times in American history it'd be fun to visit as a black person. And I don't think that had ever been explored that I could recall in comedy when Chappelle's show came out. But now there's been Timeless, where that was like a whole motif. A lot of comedians have talked about it. It's something that I think we're all more aware of now. And there's a lot of that stuff that when you go back and watch Chappelle's show, you're like, this felt so transgressive in its era. And now it just feels like, yeah, a lot of white people are racist, man. Where you been? Yeah, for sure. That's really interesting. Also, it feels like a little bit like when you're watching some of it, it's like, oh, some of this stuff is a little naughtier or um, a little more on the nose about like, you know, race or sex than you would see on any other shows. Like, I I feel like the racial draft, another classic Chappelle show sketch, like some of the stereotypes and some of the things we might see in that sketch might not fly today. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm not saying it, like, presses my buttons too hard and, like, I find it very funny and, you know, drafting, uh, you know, the the Asian contingent, drafting the Wu-Tang Clan is uh, is pretty delightful, in my opinion. Yeah, some of the stereotypes and, like, the way it views women a little bit. Like, Dave Chappelle walking through the streets giving women in New York City. Yeah, the New York boobs. The New York boobs awards. Yeah, I mean, it was, it is, it's a relic of that era when like, I mean, that was a time when you could put, it was on Comedy Central at the same time as The Man Show. And like, imagine The Man Show today. Like, it's impossible. Oh, yeah. Like, that comes back and like those, Jimmy Kimmel had to apologize for some of the stuff that he was doing. And it's like, uh, and it's not that, oh, we're, we're so sensitive, we're such snowflakes now. It's that that stuff is... It's bad. It's it's like objectively terrible, and it's cringy when you go back and watch it now, I think. So I'm not saying Chappelle's show is. But there are certain things that cross the line, certain standards, but I'm still going to laugh at much of it. But yeah, there are a lot of things that, you know, it's like, oh, that doesn't quite, I, I wouldn't see that flying today. And I don't want to embarrass you, Hal, because you made several appearances on this show. But I think it's interesting to look at Chappelle's show in a post- Key and Peele world and how Key and Peele took so many of these ideas that kind of came in through Chappelle's show and then tweaked them and modified them and modernized them. And so Key and Peele in some ways worked so well in our 2020 context, doing the kinds of stuff that Chappelle's show was doing for a previous era. Like in particular, I think what Key and Peele were so good at doing, like Chappelle's show, it's very, it has that one tone and that one sort of idea and theme and it, it hits it regularly. And it comes back to, you know, the idea of things like race in American culture. And, and it like looks at it from a lot of different angles, but it's always kind of in that world. And then I think you kind of look at something like Keep where it spends a lot of time in that world. But then they can do the Gremlins 2 sketch or then they could do the, the Terry's getting froggy sketch or something really outside the box, just kind of silly and have that work in tandem with. Yeah, and I would say, you know, Key and Peele is, you know, definitely, you know, I hate overusing this word, but it's definitely um, more woke than uh, Dave Chappelle because of the era that uh, it's in, et cetera. Yeah, it is and it isn't. I mean, I just I just feel like it, it it's more 
like Chappelle show is very much of the sensibility of its moment in comedy. Whereas Key and Peele is a lot of the same ideas, but now for our moment. And so it's less a good, bad. And it's more just a things change. And here's, we have this way to chart how comedy sketch shows change. Sure. You could also look at like Kroll show, although thematically different, but that same kind of like updated for more, a more modern sense, comic sensibility. Right, right. But one of the great things about Chappelle's show is it can be just kind of a standard sketch review, just a a series of sketches strung together by Dave Chappelle's monologues and crowd work in between. But also it does a fantastic job of just branching out and having those Charlie Murphy episodes like the one with Rick James or the Prince stories and... So it, it did have different speeds in that way. And like you never knew like what, you know, kind of the packaging was going to get. So even though tonally it kind of stayed in that kind of narrow uh, zone, you ha- like the way it was going to deliver its comedy varied and you could get complete. It could be completely different just in style from episode to episode. Yeah. But if you haven't done the, like a deep dive into Chappelle's show, yeah, it is there for you now. And it's like, there's a ton of laughs and you're going to feel like, Whoa, this is like, this goes, this is, this gets a little raw, but yeah, I think the, the laughs are going to make it, they make it completely worthwhile. And it is a, you know, you see who Dave Chappelle is now. I mean, he steps on toes today. I personally think, you know, some of Dave Chappelle's, like, humor, like, some of it is just so on point. And then he does, like, you know, like his trans material. Like, I feel like that is really just misses the mark. And it's, like, a little tone deaf and not funny. So, but largely... I agree with the fact that he's a Mark Twain Humor Award winner. and Wow, the prestige. I know you take that very seriously, the Mark <laughs> Twain Awards. Yes. Big, big Twain head. Oh, yeah, big Twain head. But uh, no, I mean, Dave Chappelle is like one of the greats. You could just see how he's, uh, you know, where he kind of came from and how he's matured. Sure. Any other thoughts on uh, Chappelle's show? No, I think, uh, I think that's good. I think that takes us through the week. Great. Well... Ron, do you want to tell us where we can find you? Oh, thank you, Hal. Uh, Find me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. That's where I'm updating, you know, everything that I do, that I work on. And I would say if you want to read more of my reviews, thoughts on streaming TV specifically, I do a newsletter five days a week. It's free. It's called Inside Streaming. You can go to inside.com slash streaming to sign up for that. Great. And you can find me at Hal Rudnick on Twitter and Instagram, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K. And check out my Twitch channel, Chuckleface, twitch.tv slash Chuckleface. And doing several comedy shows a month on that channel. It's good times. And I uh, want to thank Starburns Audio. want to thank our producer, Adam Macias. And I want to thank all the uh, owls out there, Hoot Hoot. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, talk to you next time. Bye bye. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit.